welcome to our live stream. We're so grateful that you can be with us this morning. And it looks like we have a little bit of clarity given to us by our leadership in the city, our mayor, on what reopening our church and our city is going to look like. And at this point, Mayor Cooper has outlined four phases for reopening the city. And we really do believe that uh, that's important for you to see. If you haven't looked at it yet, I want to encourage you to go back and look at the email that we sent on Thursday because we gave you a, a pretty nice uh, document in there that uh, someone had prepared that kind of outlines this for us uh, so that you can understand what's going on. But basically what we think is that we're going to be in phase three of, of what this looks like for us. And so if you're kind of wondering what that will mean, just kind of hang with us because as it unfolds, we'll have a little bit more information for you. But it's very important for you right now to do a few things. I want you to be praying for us. I want you to be praying about the decisions that we're going to have to make because over the coming weeks, we're trying to sort all of this out and we really need your wisdom as we try to go forward. And I also need you to do something for me today that you heard in the video uh, from Pastor Nathan. He mentioned it, but it's really important that you follow through with it for us. Make sure that you check your email and, and that you go through there and just take that little quick check-in email and do it for us. We really need to know some information from you about how many people are watching. And one per family, we need you to do that, you know, so that we get an idea of what's going on in our live stream and how we can better serve you with this uh, product that we're trying to give you, this worship service, because it's really important for us to, to keep getting better at this. And you'd help us a lot uh, if you would do that today. Also, I want to mention something. You know, Pastor Patton has been working really hard on a couple of things, specifically for our graduating seniors. And seniors, we want you to know we've not forgotten about you, and we're going to make sure that we honor the hard work that you've put in. And you're going to see that over the coming weeks. We've got a few uh, special things in store for you. And so just be excited to know that your church is standing behind you and your accomplishment. And you'll hear more about that as we get towards kind of a senior recognition Sunday in the next couple of weeks. I want to just start right now with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right into our sermon. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time where we can gather together and worship your name. Even as we're separated, Lord, we recognize as I read the scripture, Lord, you wrote books to churches that were dispersed. You understood that that was going to be something that we would face. And in this time, Lord, you're moving, you're doing something. And so as we open your word now, Father, we pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue our I Am series. And each one of these I Am statements is something spoken by Jesus. And they give us insight and character traits that he was trying to communicate about who he was. It's very important that we understand that. Last week we looked at the statement, I am the bread of life. And you remember Jesus saying that if you come to me, I'll satisfy the most basic needs of your life. And, and it, we understand that when we place our faith in him, all of those things are satisfied in Jesus Christ. All of the things we thought we needed or that we were hungering for in our lives are ultimately satisfied by him. This week, we're going to be a few chapters over in the Gospel of John. If you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, that'd be great. Go ahead and get there, and we'll start in verse 12. Last week, Jesus was addressing a group of people that included disciples and some other people who had been following him. Uh, you remember that they basically thought that he was a prophet, and it was definitely a group of people that was favorable towards him. They were favorable towards him because they had seen him heal the sick, they had been fed, 5,000 of them had been fed by five loaves and two fish. His disciples had seen him walk on the water. 
And they had come to find that Jesus was, was a, an intriguing person that they wanted to do something with. You remember they wanted to make him a king, and Jesus was saying to them, not yet. And as we saw last week, for many of these folks, even seeing all of those things, they still weren't satisfied. They still weren't convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. In this chapter, we're addressing a group of people that are far more hostile to Jesus. It's a group of people known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the best way that I can describe them is that they were rulers in Jewish society because they were experts in the Jewish law. Now, what that meant is that they understood the customs and practices relating to the morality of the nation, but also how that influenced the worship that took place in the nation. And they really were troubled by something that Jesus had been saying that he was the son of man, the son of God. That, that really bothered them. They didn't like his exclusive claim that he was the son of God. And you may find yourself today having similar issues with the claims of Jesus Christ. Uh, you may not be bothered by his teaching. You may think that his teaching is wonderful. You may think that there's some good moral teaching that could maybe even enhance the fabric of our lives. But you can't separate who Jesus said he was from his teaching. It just doesn't work that way. He doesn't give you that option. So as we look at this, let's start in verse 12 of John chapter 8. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, where's your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you'd also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. I am the light. I'm the light, the one who illuminates everything. When Jesus said these words, he's immediately contrasting something, light, with darkness. There's an implication there, isn't it? And when we think of light versus dark, we think of good and evil. The contrast is there. The reason your mother told you not to stay out past 11 o'clock is because nothing good happens when it's dark. Darkness conceals the works of wickedness. And Jesus says the light exposes those things. This theme's throughout all of Scripture. In fact, it's the opening words of Scripture the light. God separated the light from the darkness. Read with me in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning on the first days. In those first verses, God's declaration to us separates light from dark. And it's been that way ever since. Light and dark cannot exist together. You cannot have both of them in the same room. They are mutually exclusive. When light enters a dark space, it changes that space. Darkness cannot stay where light is. 
You know, if someone showed up in downtown Nashville today and randomly said that they were the light of the world, we might be confused by that statement, but the symbolism of the statement was not lost on the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus that day. For one thing, the timing of the statement was really important. The Jews had just finished something known as the festival or the feasts of tabernacles. Now, this festival or feast commenced or commemorated, I should say, God's provision for the nation of Israel when they left Egypt and they were wandering for 40 years. They, they lived in shelters as, as they were nomads, basically. They didn't have a home that they could live in. And so Jews every year gathered for a seven-day period where they built a, a little tabernacle for themselves to live in, and they lived outdoors. They would take branches and construct this, and it was a great time of celebration for them. They were, they were feasting, why it's sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, some of you right now need to stop, and you need to come back with me because some of you are hearing this, and I know where your mind went. Your mind already went to, I wonder if we could do that at Judson. I wonder if we could have a seven-day Camp out. Yes, I'm thinking of you, Tim Henning, and Greg Fuson. I'm thinking of you right now. And I want to say, stop it. We're not having a seven-day camp out. It's not going to happen. And some of you, you need to come back with me because you already thought about, man, I'm really glad that that has passed. I'm really glad that we don't have to do seven days of a camp out. That sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. Here, you need to focus. It's not about the camp out. That's not what it's about. Jesus is talking to people, though, right after this festival, and there's something that happened in the festival that we need to pay attention to. There were these lanterns or candelabras that were lit, huge. And they, they signified something that all Jews would have understood. It was to signify that God had led the children of Israel as they wandered during that 40 years with the light. Do you remember? At night, they would see a cloud, and by day, a pillar of fire led them. And so that's an important thing for us to understand. Uh, one commentator believes that Jesus may have even been standing right in front of these candelabras as he spoke these words. But what shouldn't be lost on us is the imagery Jesus is using to make a direct correlation between God leading the children of Israel and being the light that led them and himself being the light that leads us. Uh, it's an interesting thing in the Gospel of John, what we begin to see are three successive illustrations in three successive chapters that Jesus uh, makes kind of a, a connection for his listeners to that 40 years of wandering. Last week we saw in chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. While the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, God rained manna down. He fed them by his own hand. Manna was this grain-like substance that they could pick up and they could ground it uh, into cakes, grind it into cakes, I should say, or they could boil it and eat it. And here was the catch. You could only gather enough for what you were going to eat that day. Whatever you kept overnight spoiled, it was of no value to you. God was sustaining them day by day. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who sustains you in life and death. In John chapter 7 and verse 37, Jesus challenged his skeptics to come and drink from him. Listen to this. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood and cried out. 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. When the children of Israel were walking through the the, the wilderness for those 40 years, they came to a place where they had no water. The only water that was around them was bitter. It was not good for consumption. And God allowed Moses to take his staff and touch the rock and, and God literally had water flow from the rock that was purified, that was life-giving, that was refreshing to them. And Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit will come to you and he will inhabit you and you have these streams of living water. When I think about that, I think about how in our lives we just need the streams of living water flowing through us, coursing through our veins, just hydrating us spiritually. That's what Jesus is talking about. And now in John chapter eight, he's again pointing back to those 40 years when he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me and you will never walk in darkness again, but will have the light of life. Now we could connect this statement in its context from Exodus to the gospels, to the life that we're living today, I think it'll actually help us see its meaning. If you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and you could imagine this, imagine that everything you had was stripped away from you and you had to move out to the mountains, all of Nashville, we all went together and we had to wander in the mountains. And all of the things that had built our lives, all of the the, the things that adorned our lives and framed our lives, they were gone. Your cell phone's gone. The washing machine is gone. Your your stove, gone. All of the things that you use daily just to make life easy for you, they're they're just gone. On top of that, you have no way of of knowing which direction you're supposed to travel in because you don't know where you're going. you, You have no destination in mind. You're literally just wandering in the mountains. You feel lost. You might see a glimmer of a city over here, the, 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 the shine of a light, but you would know that if you went there, you'd be attacked. There was danger. And so you, you avoided those things. You're literally wandering in darkness. When you can imagine yourself destitute and unable to rely on your own wits, you really start to get the picture of what spiritual lostness is. Jesus is speaking to them in this picture because it describes how our lives are in spiritual darkness. Then the confusing thing is, is the culture says, we're the most enlightened culture that's ever been. We're not living in darkness. You have the light in you. You don't need light from an external source. It's in you is what the culture says. The illusion is that we don't need any light because we can make all this stuff in our life happen on our own. I mean, for goodness sakes. We're Americans with the ability we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and American ingenuity. There is nothing that faces us that we can't overcome except COVID-19 until you have to deal with a pandemic or mental illness in your family or until cancer comes and strips your body of its glory and reduces you to something that you don't even recognize until your marriage falls apart or your company closes its doors for good. When life strips all of our abilities away, what we really discover is that we're walking in darkness and Jesus stands up in the the darkest street corner of our lives and just says, I am 
the light. It's me. Now, I've got to tell you that I've never been a big fan of the dark. And this probably goes back to uh, before I can even remember, you know, as a kid or something. But one of my earliest remembrances of really not liking the dark came when I was at a Labor Day thing that we used to do when I was a kid. Our church owned a camp. Uh, Some of you have been there. It's Camp Cherokee. It was a a camp when I was growing up at First Baptist Church Cleveland. My dad was the pastor there. And we would go to this camp on Labor Day weekend and have an outdoor service as a church. And then a lot of people would hang around and spend the night. And we'd run a race the next day through forest service roads. And that night, I was playing flashlight tag with some of my friends. And I had one of those plastic little flashlights that were total junkers. You know, they just had the two D-cell batteries in it that, that barely shine. Your, your iPhone shines brighter, honestly, uh, than, than that happens. And we were running around in between the cabins playing flashlight tag. And I literally took my flashlight and turned the corner of a cabin thinking I was about to see one of my friends and tagged them with my flashlight. And instead, I saw a ninja. A literal ninja. A man dressed in full black from head to toe, face covered, just like a ninja in a movie. I've got to tell you, my heart stopped. Literally, my heart stopped. I was frozen. And when my heart started again, I screamed at the top of my lungs. I was so scared. The ninja... Evidently, his heart stopped when I screamed because he started fluttering around. And then he quickly pulled his mask down and said my name. And it happened to be one of my neighbors from back in my neighborhood back home, a college student who had come in for the Labor Day weekend. I knew him well. I just didn't have any idea that he was a ninja. It's pretty rare nowadays for me to go anywhere without a flashlight. I have them at home. I have them in my backpack. I have them in my office. I have them in my car. And I got to be honest, uh, I carry a, a small light now that operates on a AAA battery that's so much better than the junker that I had with the two D-cells. I mean, it, I mean it's amazing where the technology has come. And I, I don't use my flashlights very often for finding ninjas and illuminating bad guys. Most often what I use them for is something drops and it rolls under a piece of furniture. And it's amazing what having a light does. Or I use them in the car when one of the kids or my wife drops an ear, earbud out of, out of there and they can't find it or, or I'm working on the car. I mean, the light illuminates things that makes it easier to see what you're doing. And I want you to think about this a minute from Jesus' own words. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. When we follow Jesus, he leads our lives out of darkness. He becomes the torch that leads us out of darkness. And little by little, the old passes away and the stuff that used to feel so comfortable to us, used to feel so good to us, the deeds that we practiced in the dark, they're no longer suitable anymore because they don't feel right in the light. And and, and this is important because Jesus said, and we studied this when we studied the Sermon on the Mount last year, but Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Here he's saying, I am the light and I'll give you the light of life. He told his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Now that's really important for those of us who are believers to understand because what Jesus is saying is that you are reflections of who I am. You're like the bezel on a flashlight. You're reflecting the illumination that's inside of you. I'm giving something to you. And for us, that's important because there should be none of the deeds of darkness in our lives as believers. We should be free from those things. We should be living with a crystal clear focus for 
for the Lord Jesus Christ so that as we go about our lives, what happens is we illuminate everyone around us with the light of Christ. If you're not living in the light, I want to challenge you to not fall in the trap that the Pharisees fell into. Notice what happened in verse 13. The Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. See, the Pharisees had a problem with the evidence that Jesus was presenting. The Jews had a rule that said a man could not be condemned except on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You could not testify on your own behalf. Your testimony was excluded. You had to have outside testimony. And basically what they're saying to Jesus is, where's the testimony, pal? We want to see some proof. And Jesus told them, I've got two testimonies. One came from myself. The other came from God. He'd been sent by God empowered by God. They had seen the miracles. They, they had seen people healed. They, they didn't like that he'd healed them on the Sabbath. They could not deny that a man had been healed. John chapter 1 verse 9, it describes Jesus as the light. He's the one who enlightens every man. The miracle was giving this testimony about who he was, that he was enlightening them. We even see that John the Baptist had given testimony to him, but they didn't want any of it. They wanted concrete evidence. I want to give you a caution because you may be waiting for concrete evidence as well, just like the Pharisees were. The evidence for the Lord Jesus Christ living on this earth is overwhelming. The evidence for the Bible being true, even outside the claims of Christ to be the Messiah, just forget that, just consider it a historical document. The evidences for the Bible being true, I mean, they're overwhelming. They're absolutely overwhelming. You cannot deny because archaeology, science continues to prove that the Bible, when it speaks to something, that it's, it's true. You can authenticate it outside of itself. The problem with seeking salvation through evidence is you become just like the Pharisees. You see the evidence, you just deny it. Salvation doesn't come through evidence. Salvation comes through faith. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, if you're waiting for evidence, it's impossible for you to get into heaven based on an evidentiary claim. This doesn't work that way. It comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he is the light that illuminates everything and drives the darkness out of our lives so that we can clearly see the path that we need to go. The other thing that could be happening for you, and you maybe don't think about it like this, but waiting for evidence is kind of like asking for your limited knowledge to be able to mine the unlimited knowledge of the mind of God. You can't. I'm sorry, but there are things that you will never know about God. This side of heaven and maybe when we get to heaven. No man with our frailty can mine the depths and the recesses of the mind of God. We can only come to faith when he illuminates it for us. When he makes clear the path and he's done that in Jesus Christ. You might also make a mistake like the Pharisees made in judging Jesus. Look at verse 15, you judge by human standards, I judge by no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. When you judge by human standards, you judge by appearances. That means you 
compare Jesus to other religious leaders. It means you compare the teaching of Jesus to other religious, and you find what you like. The things that you don't like, you separate and set aside. The things that you do like, you welcome in, and you can't do it. With a human perspective, you're trying to judge something, and Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world, even though one day he is coming back to judge the world. I want you to think about how Jesus spent his time on earth. Jesus never judged by human appearances. He went to the scoundrels. He went to the sinners. He spent an inordinate amount of time uh, of his time on earth with people who were just like us. They were sinners. They were reviled by the religious institutions. And what we don't find Jesus doing is giving them a message of judgment. What we find them doing, find him doing is giving a message of grace and hope because he came not to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. Now, when he comes again, judgment will come. Don't try to evaluate Jesus and judge him by what you see and what you think. Judge him for who he is. Let your heart be quickened to that today. You know, we have this invitation in this life to never walk in darkness. So what will you choose? What will it be for you? Would it be the day that Maybe as a believer, you would say, there's been some darkness in my life and it's time for me to set aside the things of darkness and let the light of life really shine out in my life so that the lost world can see it. I challenge you to repent. For the believer, there is no room for the deeds of darkness in our lives. Jesus won't have it. He illuminates all of that stuff in our life and drives the darkness out. But maybe for you today, you've never given your life to Christ I want to challenge you today to give your life to Christ. I I want you to know that Jesus has loved you with an everlasting love. And if you'd come to him, he'll satisfy your hunger. He'll satisfy your thirst and he'll illuminate the path for you. I want to ask you right now to enter into a time of response and pray with me as we close our service. Would you do business with God right now? Would you just stop and ask the Lord to speak to you? How about it, Christian? How about coming to that place where you're ready for the light to shine? Shine again in your lives. To to just drive out the darkness that just wants to encroach. You know, for us, a lot of times, it's like shadows in our lives. They just conceal a little bit. But man, you can hide a lot in the shadows. Or maybe for you as a person who's never given your life to Christ, would you just confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God? Come to the light today. Don't live in darkness anymore. Give your life to Christ. Start just by saying, Lord, I've been wrong. I've tried to do it on my own. But I'll follow you as you lead me out of this darkness. I'll follow you. Be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again. Father, how we ask in this moment to just see the light of life in our lives again. For those of us who are believers, Lord, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we're not wandering aimlessly like the children of Israel were. We know we're headed towards heaven where your light shines forever. We don't need the sun. We don't need the moon. We live in the radiance of your glory. Praise Jesus for that.
Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit today would quicken, illuminate hearts, that they would see the truth of the gospel and be drawn to you and saved today. Father, I pray you'd tear down the arguments of those waiting for evidence. Lord, build faith in their lives and call them out of darkness today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Don't forget this week to keep up with us in our Thursday update. Don't forget to watch the Wednesday midweek, children, merge, youth. And if you've made a decision today, if you need prayer, if you want someone to follow up with you, let us know. Send us an email. Text the number 615-833-6600. We want to connect with you. If you've given your life to Christ, we want to walk with you on this journey in the light. We'll be happy to do that. Let us know. We'll respond to you today. God bless you. I can't wait till we can be together again.